Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the history of the kings of Judah as we pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 1 Chronicles brought us up unto the death of David, and 2 Chronicles begins with the reign of Saul, and it covers the remaining history of the kings of Judah. Now, this is the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. It does not really deal with the kings of Israel, but concentrates upon the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. There were perhaps chronicles of the kings of Israel, those we do not have. But these are the chronicles of the kings of Judah, and First Chronicles occupies itself primarily with the kingdom of David, for it was under David that the kingdom was brought to the zenith, the apex of its glory and power. And Solomon stepped in uh, in following his father who had laid a beautiful foundation and uh, enjoyed really the benefits of his father's reign. Under Solomon, the kingdom began to deteriorate. And just so quickly, the kingdom fell apart at the death of Solomon when his son Rehoboam took over, the kingdom became divided and what was once a mighty, powerful kingdom soon became a weakened, such a weakened state uh, that the, the glorious treasures that had been amassed by David and by Solomon were soon taken by Shishak, the king of Egypt, and uh, the glory and the power and the wealth of the kingdom were soon destroyed. So as we get into the second book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. Solomon began his reign with great power, power that was handed to him really from his father David, but also power from the Lord because in the beginning Solomon's heart was right before God. And Solomon gathered the people together at Gibeon for the tabernacle of the Lord at that time was in Gibeon. Now there were two tabernacles at this time. David had erected a tent in Jerusalem for the Ark of the Covenant. When they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, David made a tent for the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. But the real worship center of the nation was still at Gibeon, where the tabernacle modeled after the tabernacle in the wilderness existed, and the altar where they would go up to sacrifice unto God was at Gibeon. And so Solomon 
gathered the people together to the high place that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation similar to the one that they had had in the wilderness. And the ark of God David had brought from Kirgath-Jerim to Jerusalem and had built a tent for that. And Solomon went up there to this brass altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. Now, Solomon was an extravagant fellow. A thousand burnt offerings. And uh, he, he was extravagant in, in all that he did. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. That's almost like some of the plots of the fairy tales that you read, you know, of the fairy goddess or, or of the genie or whatever. Ask whatever you want. I've sometimes wondered myself if God should come to me and say, ask what you want me to give to you. I've wondered what would I ask God for? What would be my request? And I've often thought, as I mused on this, I think I would turn it right around and say, God, you give me whatever you want to give me. Because you see, I may be thinking of much less than what God wants to give. <laughs> he loves me so much that he desires to just give to me. And I might be saying, Lord, I'd like to have $1,000. But he may want to lay a million dollars on me. And why should I, you know, cut him short? <laughs> I think that we fail to realize how much God really loves us and what God is willing to do for us. For if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more then shall he not freely give us all things? Look what God has already given for you. Consider it. He spared not his own son. And if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you, how much more will he freely give you all things? Jesus said, henceforth you've asked nothing in my name. Ask. And in the Greek, it's in the intensive, which translated more literally would be, ask, please ask that you may receive that your joy may be full. God is wanting to bless you. God is wanting to bless your life because God wants your life to be an instrument through which the world around you might know the joy and the blessing of serving the Lord. And so God desires, God delights in giving good things to his children. Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon 
said, You have showed great mercy unto David my father, and you have made me to reign in his place. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for you have made me the king over a people that are like the dust of the earth as far as number. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this thy people that is so great? So Solomon's request, wisdom and knowledge, God, that I may know how to go in and out before these people, because the task that has been laid upon me Reigning over your people is, is greater than I can actually handle. And so, Father, grant me the wisdom and the knowledge, really, to do your business. Grant me, Lord, that which I need to do the things that you want me to do. What a beautiful request. Now, a little further on, when we get into our reading next week, we're going to find the prophet coming to Asa the king and declaring, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. Now, here's Solomon expressing a heart that's really sort of completely towards God. Ask whatever you want, Solomon. Lord, I'd like to be famous. Lord, I like my footprint in Grumman's Chinese. Lord, I'd like to be rich. No, Lord, you've placed a big, heavy responsibility upon me. You've made me the king in the place of my father over your people. And God, I need wisdom and I need knowledge and, and just knowing how to do the work that you want done. And God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or you didn't ask for the life of your enemies, neither did you ask long life for yourself, but you've asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before you, neither shall there be any after you that will have the like. Then Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was at Gibeon to Jerusalem from before the tabernacle of the congregation, and he reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had a 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and he placed in the chariot cities the king of Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones, and cedar trees he made as common as the sycamore trees that grow in the valley abundantly. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn, and the king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And they brought up from Egypt the chariots for 600 shekels of silver, horses for 150. And so brought they out horses for all of the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, 
by their means. In other words, they, they began to be horse traders. They began to sell them to the nations around, the Hittites and the Syrians and so forth. Now, it is interesting that Solomon began this horse trading with Egypt, it would appear very early in his career. And in so doing, he was beginning to plant the seeds of destruction and deterioration of his kingdom. For in Deuteronomy, the Lord gave the law concerning the kings of Israel. And in the 18th or 17th chapter, in the 14th verse, the Lord said to Moses, when the people come into the land and they possess it, and they will say, we want a king like the other nations that are about us. Then God gives the requirements for the one that they should set forth as a king. But in verse 16, he said, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that they should multiply horses. Now, what does God have against horses? Nothing. He created them. But in those days, the horse was a definite, decisive kind of weapon in battle. And they began to measure the strength of an army by the number of the horses. A man on horseback had a definite advantage, and a chariot was a fearsome, awesome weapon of war, sort of like tanks against infantry today. And so God did not want them trusting in horses. And in Psalms, it said, a horse is a vain thing as far as something to trust in, as it speaks about the contrasting, trusting in the Lord. Now, some men trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the Lord our God. And so many of the Psalms are addressed to the fact that people were putting trust in horses. Now, the fact that Solomon began to amass this great number of horses, and for a time, Bible critics sort of assailed the biblical account because of the numbers of horses that Solomon had. And it tells how he built these cities and put stables in these cities and so forth. And now in the excavations, in many of these cities that Solomon had fortified, they have found actually the horse stables. In the city of Megiddo, at the level of excavation that was at Solomon's time, you can see these stone troughs that they had carved out for the water for the horses and the feeding troughs and all. They, they are there today and, and in vast numbers, and it uh, all verifies really the biblical account of, of the vast numbers of horses that Solomon gathered. And the tendency, though, was then to trust in the fact that you have in your army a certain number of horsemen and all. So 
It's amazing to me that so soon Solomon would forsake the law of the Lord and would begin to sow the seeds that ultimately uh, were to deteriorate the kingdom. Now Solomon determined to build a house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. And Solomon counted out 70,000 men to bear burdens and 80,000 men to cut trees out of the forest. And 3,600 men to oversee them. And so the tremendous number of of people that were just involved in in the labor to the gathering of the materials uh, for his own palace and for the temple that they were to build. Solomon sent to Hiram, who is also called Hiram, the king of Tyre, and he said, As you dealt with David my father, and you sent him cedars to build his own palace, Even I ask you to deal so with me. Behold, I am going to build a house in the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him and to burn before him the sweet incense and to place the continual showbread for the burnt offerings morning and evening and on the Sabbath and the new moons and the solemn feast of the Lord our God. For this is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. And who is able to build him a house, seeing the heaven, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? In other words, the idea is that I'm not building a house for God to dwell in. The heavens and heaven of heavens cannot contain God. Thus, I only build a house that we might, at this house, burn sacrifice before God. There are oftentimes attempts by men to localize God. They are always wrong. To think of God as being in one place more than in another place. You cannot localize God. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. David said, Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I descend into hell, thou art there. Can't escape from God, nor can God be localized. And yet so often we we think of God, Lord, we're so happy to gather tonight in your presence to worship you. Oh, yes, it's nice to be here in the presence of God this evening. Hey, you were in the presence of God when you were yelling at your wife on the way to church. (laughs) You know, it isn't that when we get into this place, we suddenly come into the presence of God. The presence of God is everywhere. You can't escape the presence of God. And it is always wrong when we try to think of God in a localized place. And yet it is so often a part of our limited understanding that we always seem to think of God in in a locality. I'm going to go to church so I can be near God tonight. I feel so near to God when I'm walking through the woods. I feel so near to God when I 
and walking across the desert at night. I feel so near to God. Well, it may be that you have a greater awareness of God's presence in certain localities, but that isn't an actuality. In truth, God is with you wherever you are. It isn't that we need to come into the presence of God. It's that we need to become more aware of the presence of God wherever we may be. I think that one of the greatest needs of the Christian experience and in the Christian life is to become more conscious of God's all-pervading presence. And at the times when you least feel like it, he is there. In the time when you're feeling the rottenness, he is there. In the time you're feeling most desolate, he is there. The most forsaken, he is there. We need to become aware of his presence. But that's an attitude of my own heart. I can become aware of God's presence no matter where I am if I'll just turn my heart towards the Lord to consciously seek to be aware of his presence with me. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Chronicles 1 through 2 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and keep you in His love and grace watching over you, guiding you, protecting you through this week. May you be enriched in Christ Jesus in all things. And may your understanding of God's love be increased day by day as you begin to fathom the depths, experience the heights of God's love and grace and mercies towards you through Jesus. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. 
These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled A Memoir of Grace. You're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll-free at 1-800-272-WORD.